were here, you know that I, I, I gave it a try and I failed miserably um, to try to get through two chapters as I look at the clock and it's like, yeah, let's just stop right here, you know? <clears throat> and so we got through chapter four of 1 Kings this evening. I will give it another try. And we're going to go through chapters five and six. And I think it breaks down better that way anyways, but we'll see if we get through to chapter six, but I'm hoping that we will. So First Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now Hiram, Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram had always loved David. Now Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. And now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrences, occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I have set on your throne in your place, he shall build a house for my name. Now therefore command that you cut down, uh, cut down cedars, for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know they, there is none among us who is skill, who has skill to cut, down, cut timber like the Sidonians. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. So the first time that we kind of come across, um, well, uh, Hiran, um, actually, we, 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 I, I kind of want to give you a little glimpse of where Tyre is at. Tyre if you look on your map in Israel, you see where Israel at, is, is at. Tyre would be a seaport city in Phoenician uh, Phine, or Phoenicia. Phoenicia, and, and, and it's on on what we would call today modern day Lebanon. And Tyre would be the the seaport, one of the seaport cities up in that region. So it's not quite far, but it's, it's a neighboring region to Israel there. And uh, Hiram was the king of Tyre in, in the region, region of Phoenicia. Um, and he had, or they had been an ally to Israel for quite a while. But they were more than just allies. They, he had become friends with King David. Um, and then uh, upon hearing that that Solomon had been anointed king after David died or, or during that time, he, he, uh, that he had taken the, the, the throne. He wasted no time 
to not only offer up his congratulations, but also his services, because it says he, he had always loved David. The first time he, he, he comes on the scene, this guy, Hiran, uh, is in Second Samuel chapter 5. When David began to build his kingdom and he, he began to build his house in the city of David, Hiram was the one that he had contracted or got a hold of because they had a lot of trees and a lot of stuff and a lot of carpenters and they had masons. Um, and so David had got him to come and build the house or his people. And so it was there that they began to build this relationship together. So it wasn't just two kings. They, were, they had become friends. These heads of state, basically, had become friends with one another. And, and so it says here that he really loved David. And, and this would end up well for, uh, for Hiram. Um, it was a great move for him because, again, in getting in good with the son now, um, and there was no reason why he shouldn't get in good with him. Um, it would be good for the whole region because having a neighbor as an ally is really, really good. He, he won't have to worry about any kind of wars happening between the two countries that, that are next to each other. And so it would end up good. And being at peace with your neighbor is always a, a good thing. And, and being a smaller nation than, than Israel, he also knew that he would have protection for, from his enemies, if, if any, come against them, that he could call David and say, hey, can you help us out here? And like I said, it's always a, it's a, it's always a good thing for us to be at peace with our neighbor. I think that's something that the Lord has called us to, to do. Now, when you're a country, it's not always, it's, it's not al- th- that doesn't always happen to be at peace with other nations. Other nations want your land, especially. But, but the Bible tells us that as much as it is within us, as Christians, we are to live peaceably with one another. And so I don't know who your neighbor is, but we do know what the Bible says about neighbors. It's those people around us, that we should live at peace with them. And so here Solomon is, is, is kind of inheriting this relationship, basically, but but Hiram, he, he understands, it's like, man, David was such a good guy, and I've really fallen in love with him. I, I, I hope his son is just as good of a friend to me, so that there would be peace between the two. And so I believe that that's part of this whole deal, as we're going to see. But I, I, it, it does tell us that he truly loved David. So in verses 2 uh, uh, on to about 6, um, all of a sudden... It says then David or that Solomon sent to Hiram saying and and so he sends messengers for congratulations and here's your here's our services you know the stuff that we 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 can offer you and and Solomon sends back his servants his messengers uh, with a request and it is obvious that that King David had already made Hiram aware of his heart to build a house for the Lord. In, 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 in communicating with Hiram, because the way Solomon is speaking here, he says, you know it was in my, my father's heart to build a house for the Lord, but he just couldn't. 
He could not do it because of the wars that were all around him and the things that were happening. And so you know and I know that he just couldn't do it. He wanted to, but he couldn't. It would be up to Solomon to build the temple. But it was King David who had basically set everything up. King David, I believe, is also the one that kind of set up the parameters or, or the dimensions of the, the, the temple. Unlike Moses, when Moses got the, the green light from God to build the tabernacle, and the difference between the tabernacle and the temple were that a tabernacle was mobile. You can tear it down and put it back together, whereas the temple will be stationary. And so God had given Moses the dimensions for the tabernacle. To the T, he gave them the dimensions. And so I believe that even as, as, as David had this desire, God not allowing him, God gave him the, the wherewithal to make up this dimension of everything that was needed. And so when the request came to Hiram from Solomon, it wasn't a shocker to him. It's like, you want what? I'm just congratulating you and just saying, hey, if you need anything, oh, by the way, I do. You know, you know people say, hey, if you need anything. It's like, oh, really? And you give them all this list, and they're going, whoa, 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 that's not what I meant. But, but in this instance, Hiram already knew there was a desire to build a house of God, and Solomon would be the one. And so, again, it wasn't a surprise to him. And I would say that this would, would enhance their relationship of, of working together, of being together, of getting to know one another. And so um, you need to understand here also that as... As Solomon is telling them all these things about it, that you need to understand that Hiram is not a Jew. He, he's not Hebrew by any stretch of the imagination. He is a Gentile. And yet, the way Solomon talks to him, not just here, but also in Second Chronicles, when it's talking about the same story, it goes a little more in-depth in Chronicles and what he says to him. I'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit of what he says to him, but I like the fact that, again, even though he's not Jewish, even though he's not Hebrew, he talks to him and explains his heart about building this temple to God. And it's as if uh, he was talking to someone who truly um, understood his heart. But, but look at the, how he kind of mentions the same story over in Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. As Solomon, is, it's basically the same story, but more from a, a priestly perspective from Chronicles. It says, Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for a continual showbread, for the sweet or for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the sabbaths on the new moons and on set feast of the Lord our God this is an ordinance forever to Israel the temple which i will build will be great which i build will be great for our god is greater than all gods but who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn offerings before him? 
as, I, as I'm reading these two accounts, knowing that he's sending this message to a Gentile. I, I, I'm thinking, man, it, it's pretty awesome that he had the freedom to talk to this guy who, who is not a Jew, who doesn't have the same kind of relationship with the Lord God as the Jews would, but he's talking to him in such a way that he has the freedom to talk to him. And I don't, I don't know if you have friends or co-workers or family members that you just feel that freedom to share the word. And, and, and because there's other times that people don't even want you to talk about God around them. You know, and you've yeah, you got to respect that. You know, it's like, eh, don't talk to me about your God. And they kind of just put their hand out there and you're going, it is what it is. Understood. But there's other people that they're just kind of open to hearing. And, and I was telling Pastor Daniel about this earlier, how, how the, the, some of the relationships that I get to have in our community with people, especially like people from the school district that I, I get to know, you know, some of the people that I just have this, this freedom to talk to them about the things God's doing in my heart, in my life. What God's doing even at the church, you know. And, and they're almost like, okay, I mean, maybe they're just being polite, but I just have this, this freedom. And I just feel like, like Solomon had that freedom with this guy who wasn't so much, you know, used to today's word. It's, he's, he's not even a Christian. And yet he's going, oh, that, that, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool of what's going on. Now, some might say that Hiram was, was getting paid for this, or he's going to get paid for this, and he would listen to just about anything. I don't care. As long as I'm going to get the Solomons, or in today's vernacular lingo, as long as I get the Benjamins. <laughs> I don't care. I'll listen to anything. You know? As long as it's green, or whatever, gold, whatever it was back in the day. I'll be nice. I'll listen to his God stories. But I don't think it's that. I, I truly believe that he just had this heart because he loved David. And he, was, he wanted to love his son as well. And so I just, I just sense that there was this opportunity for him to share. And, and again, guys, if, if God gives you that opening to talk to people, again, not to shove it down people's throats, but to have the, the wherewithal to be sensitive enough, it's like, well, you know, these people don't want to hear. I'm not going to force it. But if somebody's going, yeah, yeah. And, and it's almost like you're drawing them in or they're being drawn in by your life and what God is doing in your life. And so he shares his heart. You know, my dad wanted to do that, but he couldn't. But it's on my heart to do this. And who am I? I love the way he mentions it in Second Chronicles. Who am I to build a house for my God except to sacrifice, except to go and worship. Now, Lebanon was known for its cedar trees. Um, the cedar tree is kind of an evergreen type looking tree as I'm looking that up. And, and even the flag of Lebanon today has in the middle of it a big old evergreen cedar kind of tree. And they were known for their skill in cutting timber. They, they were good at it. And Solomon even mentioned, it's like, there's no one like you guys up there in Sidonian, the Sidonians. And, 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 and so, man, oh man, if you guys can hook me up with as much trees as possible, I would love it. 
And then in verse 7, I, and I love this portion here, because in verse 7 it says, So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he greatly, or that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the, the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. The, the, the fact that Hiram, Hiram rejoiced greatly or was well pleased indicates that, that there was even in, on his part a great relief that he would continue to be allies with Israel and to have this kind of relationship with Solomon. I, I, I think he was just like, whew. But, but we're going to see that Solomon, even though he didn't have a lot of beefs with other people, he was a harsh kind of guy. He, 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 he had a heavy thumb on people. But he rejoiced greatly. And, and listen to how he expresses himself. He says, blessed be the Lord this day. <laughs> Again, there is no indication whatsoever as I was looking up Hiram all over the place. Finding out, was he a proselyte or a convert, maybe to Judaism, that he would be so excited and give God praise or thanks or bless the Lord for this, this Jew, you know? But, but there's nowhere to indicate that he had become any kind of a Jew. He continued to be um, a Gentile, more than likely Hiram was was a worshiper of Baal or Baal. You see, it, it was Hiram who, if you look at the, the maps of where Tyre is, it's it, it, there's a little island off of Tyre, and he was the one that kind of kind of built this embankment from mainland to this island, or from the island to the to the mainland, and and it it, it was there to to uh, on that island where where the temple to Baal. Shamim stood. And so more than likely, he, he worshipped that. But he was the one that kind of built this big old thing. If you look at the maps now, if you Google at the old city of Tyre, you could see where the, the bridge was. And then you see how they filled it all in now. And now it's just part of, part of the, the whole Lebanon area. But Hiram was the one that, that, that built that thing. He was, a, he, he was a builder, man. He had a, the wherewithal to do all those things, but more than likely, he, he was a worshiper of Baal. In verse 8, it says, Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all your desire concerning the cedars and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, I will float them, uh, float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill, and, and you shall de- fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedars and cypress logs according to his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20, 000, or 20 uh, cores of pressed oil. Then thus Solomon gave to Hiram year uh, by year. 
So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty together. This is now somewhat of a commercial contract between these two. Now understand that their their friendship relationship will probably continue and, and grow but but there was exchange of goods here that was going to be happening a payment if you will and so there was so so there was more of these these terms of condition attached to this that was associated with this whole conversation that they're having and so apparently there is a lot of trees in Lebanon but not that much wheat <laughs> or 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 pressed oil and so they were going, hey, man, it, we will give you as much as you want as long as you kind of hook me up with the wheat and oil that we might need up here, as long as you take care of my servants or, and my household. And so this is the, the little business transaction that was going to go on. And, and, and both of them were going to make out uh, through this. And that's what business is all about. You know, he was in the business of trees and he's saying, man, I got a lot of trees, but what I don't have is a lot of wheat. And so if you give me this much, and it, was a, it would be a fair deal, and I'm sure both of them would, would be good with that. And so the, the servants of Tyre would cut down these trees, and they would take them however far it was. They'd make them into the logs, and then they'd take them down by the sea. And from the sea, they would raft them together, tie them together. And then they were going to pull them down or, or bring them down off the coast, down to a place called Joppa, according to to um, to Second uh, Chronicles chapter two verse ten, they would bring him down to Joppa, and that was some eighty-five miles that they would bring these logs all the way down, and from there they would tear them apart, and then it was up to Solomon and his workers to take them up to Jerusalem, another thirty-five miles, taking all these logs, and I don't think they were just like little small two by four ten, you know eight foot two by fours or whatever. I'm thinking logs, you know, maybe logs. However they did it, I'm thinking, man, they did not have cranes from what I understand. Maybe they did, some ancient looking ones. But man, they were hard workers to be able to do all those kinds of things. Um, combined with, with, with chapter or verse, verse 11 here and, and Second Chronicles chapter 2, Hiram's um, household received annually 125,000 bushels of wheat and 115,000 gallons of pure oil. That's what his household was receiving. And, And the workers, they would receive one payment of 125,000 uh, bushels of wheat, 125,000 bushels of barley, and 115 gallons of wine and of oil, according to Second uh, Chronicles. Um, and the workers would have to divide all of this. And, and again, it, it was probably a one-time payment here, divided amongst yourself. And then in verse 12, it says, So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, as he had promised him. And there was peace between uh, Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them uh, made a treaty together. I, l- I like the fact that 
Um, even in business, the Lord gave Solomon wisdom. He used wisdom in business. Not just in the things of, of the Lord in this sense, but in business, he, he, he asked for wisdom. He wanted wisdom in all, in all, way, in, in all areas. And, and, and the Lord gave him wisdom. And, and I think even for us, when, I, when I'm looking at things like this, I, I, I think, you know, in everything that we do, whether it's at home, at church, at play, um, at business, whatever we do, we need to be asking for wisdom from God. We, we, we should desire to always have wisdom. And I like the fact that, that there, there, there was peace here. And the fact that wisdom and peace are kind of put together here. Because he says, you know, that he gave him the, the, the wisdom that, that he had promised to give him. And there was peace. I think oftentimes when, when we're asking God for wisdom, he will give us wisdom and it will bring about peace in our life. I think it's, it's in our foolishness. When, when we desire to do stuff on our own without the wisdom of God is when there is no peace in our life. There is no rest in our life. And I think oftentimes when, when we're not wanting and desiring the peace or the, the wisdom from God, <clears throat> He allows us to go through issues in our life. And, and what, came, what came to mind was from James chapter 3. Verses 13 to 18, where it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, going back to that whole wisdom and peace. Seeking, seeking wisdom from God will, will settle your heart in a lot of ways. Because again, you're, you're asking God, I want your will, I want your heart, I want an understanding heart to what you would have me do. And I think that this wisdom transcends anything we want to go do. Whether it's in business or whether it's, it's a desire that we have that God, you would give me wisdom so I can experience this, this peace. Now again, I, I, I like when, when it says in Romans that as much as is within you, live peaceably with all men. And, and there's a condition there. As long as, you know, what, as long as you're doing all you possibly can, asking for wisdom, then you, can, you will live in peace with other people. Granted, it's not always going to happen because other people can make your life miserable. But again, when we're praying for wisdom, understanding, things like that, then again, going back to what James is saying, he says, but the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's an important one right there. 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Solomon, again, in this situation, as we go back to, to our text, again, he, he had the wisdom that God had, had, had promised to give him. And because of that, he was living in peace all around. Like he said earlier, man, I, there's neither adversary nor evil occurrences happening in my life because of all this. In verse 13 to 18, it says, Then King Solomon uh, raised up a, a labor force out of all Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, 80,000 who quarried stones, stone in the mountains, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them uh, to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gibbalites, Gibbalites uh, quarried them and they prepared timber and stone to build the temple. And so um, when David had completed his census back in, 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 in 2 Samuel, um, there was numbered about 1.3 million able-bodied men in the land. And Solomon only recruits drafts, about 30,000 of them for this labor force that would be traveling back and forth to Lebanon, and they were they would be working in shifts, one month on, two months off, um, and they would be assisting uh, Hiram's men at their work. And so it kind of sounds like a good gig that was kind of happening there. You'd go to work for a month, and you'd come home for two, um, and things like that. And so it, it 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 was probably hard hard work for one, but hard being away for that long. I know it would be for me, but. Um, on top of that, he had 70,000 men who carried burdens. Now, I don't know if these guys were the ones that were carrying the trees from the coastland from Joppa all the way up or if they were the ones that were working with all the stones because he had 80,000 in the quarries and he had 3,300 supervisors doing all this stuff. Now, it was interesting because I was, I was thinking of a couple of years ago when I, the first time I went to Uganda, we got to go to a quarry. And they were just breaking, breaking stuff up, but they were doing it all by hand. And so it's not like what we have quarries now that they're just like, you know, blasting and, and doing, you know, using all these things. We, I actually seen a guy on this pile of rock with a ball peen hammer to make small rocks like this. And so, man, when you have 80,000 of those guys, man, then you can get a lot of work done. But what they were doing was, was they were cutting the stones for the foundation of what we know now, the Temple Mount. And when you go to the Temple Mount and you can go on Google and, and just look at the Western Wall, I mean, some of these stones, man, they're, they're like huge. Like, 
I don't know how deep, but they're huge. Now, one of the biggest ones that's down inside a tunnel that we got to go into when I was able to go there, that thing was about as big as a, as a fifth wheel, you know? It was about 50 or 45 feet long, about 8, 10 feet tall, and 11 feet wide. And so those are stones that they were bringing in. And all these stones that they, they set up for the foundation of what is now the Temple Mount, they were so, like, perfect and how they did things that you can't even stick like a credit card in through it. And so these guys, man, they worked hard. And, and so once again, as we look at what's happening here, you have Solomon's builders, you have Hiram's builders, and you have these other guys that were from that area as well. And they're the ones that are being put together to put this, to build the, um, uh, I've got to rest here, to build the Temple Mount. <laughs> I'm running out of air here um and so anyways uh these are the guys that 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 put all this thing together and i love the fact that there were jews and gentiles together god knew that these gentiles would help build the temple and build the the temple mount even and 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 so i i found this as i was studying this that that it says that the temple it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, it says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations and it's interesting because again god is using gentiles to help build the temple mount that will eventually be helping to build the temple and it's interesting because when israel was taken into captivity and it was in disarray the 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 temple and all that stuff it was the persian government that assisted them in rebuilding the, the the temple or putting it back together and then when the second temple was built it was, it was known as Herod's temple, another Gentile. Um, and he even gave a special place for the Gentiles called the, the, the court of the Gentiles. And it's interesting because it was the Jewish religious leaders that turned the, the court of the Gentiles into a, 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 a marketplace, if you will, where, where they sold sacrifices and exchanged currency. And that's when Jesus came on the scene and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Today, the temple of God is made up of, of, of believers in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. And, and, and just kind of bringing it together here uh, as we look at how God used Jews and Gentiles to build this whole thing for him. And we today are made up of both Jews and Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of partition. And so we will move on. Chapter 6, what I want to do in chapter 6, really quick, I'm going to read it through the New Living Translation. And I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation because there's a lot of measurements in this chapter. And so to try to grasp 
uh, a little better. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, it was in uh, mid-spring in the month of Ziv, April, May, during the fourth year of Solomon's reign that he began to construct the temple of the Lord. This was 480 years after the temple, after the people of Israel were rescued from their slavery in the land of Egypt. The temple that Solomon built for the Lord was uh, 90, uh, 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The entry room of, at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. It projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple. Solomon also made narrow recessed windows throughout the temple. He built a complex of rooms uh, against the outer wall of the, temp of the temple all the way around the sides and rear of the building. The complex was three stories high. The bottom floor uh, being seven and a half feet wide, the second floor nine feet wide, and the, and the top floor ten and a half feet wide. The rooms were connected to the wall of the temple by beams resting on ledges built out of the wall. So the beams were not inserted into the wall themselves. The stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at quarries, so there was no sound of a hammer, axe, or any other iron tool at the building site. Now, it's interesting because here he gives us now what was happening. In, in, in my King James, in New King James, um, everything is, is measured out in, in, um, in, um, in, in cubits. Thank you, thank you. Um, and a cubit is usually about 18 inches long. And so trying to make all that kind of, I kind of looked at another translation. It's like, oh, break it all down for us. And so it's nine, 30, or 90 by 30 feet wide. Now, I, 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 the, uh, from this little wall right here to that wall right here, or from that, from that chair to that chair where Greg is at, that's about 30 feet right there, roughly about 30 feet. And then it went 90 feet long. So it was from the front door to about the hallway or a little closer than the hallway. So you can see how big this temple would be. And then it would be 45 feet high in the air. So that's pretty tall for a kind of small building because a, a 30 by, by 90 is 2,700 square feet. Doesn't sound big if it's going to be the main temple. But it's not like they had church like we had church. It was only that the priest would go into that place. There would be an outer court around the temple that where people would congregate and come through. But the main temple itself, um, it's, it's not like a lot of people were going into it. It had a lot of the stuff that was, that was in there. But it says that around the temple itself, there was, there was this, this, these rooms that they built around um, the sides and the rear and they were three stories high, and it gives us the dimensions that it starts off at about seven foot, nine foot, ten foot. And so more than likely, the walls of the temple were in a little bit, and there was little outlets that kind of went this, like this, and they would lay the beams that way. So it was seven foot, eight, uh, seven and a half foot, nine foot, ten foot. 
all those things were like for storage and stuff. And there was a, 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 a stairway that went up and, and all that kind of stuff that happened. And so um, I, I, when I'm looking at this, it fascinates me. I know some of you guys are going, how long are you going to keep on doing this? Um, but for you that like to build and stuff, it's like, oh, very interesting. Other people are going, just stop. Um, but you're lucky that I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. But in the middle of the building, in verse 11, it says, Then the Lord gave this message to Solomon concerning this temple uh, you are building. If you keep all my decrees and regulations and obey all my commands, I will fulfill, uh, I, I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and I will never abandon my people. And I like the fact that, again, he is reminding him about the favor that he is giving the people if there is obedience. What good is a building if there's no obedience? Because he says it would be empty without your obedience. It would just be full of stuff, all this stuff, but I will not be there among you. In verse 14, it says, uh, so Solomon finished building the temple. The entire inside from floor to ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the, the walls and ceilings with cedar and he used planks of cypress for the floor. He partitioned off the inner sanctuary, the most holy place. It was at the far end of the temple. It was 30 feet deep and was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. In the main room of the temple, outside the most holy place, was 60 feet long. Cedar uh, paneling completely, completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple, and the, te- uh, the paneling was decorated with carvings of goads and open flowers. He prepared the inner sanctuary at the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He, inlay, he overlaid the inside with solid gold, and he also uh, overlaid the altar uh, made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold. And he made gold chains to protect the entrance of the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, um, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. So within the tabernacle or within the the temple itself, he made this 30 by 30 about where the sound room is from here at the end of it. And it was 30 feet high. Remember, it was 40 feet high, 45 feet. So he made this box in the middle, and that's where the most holy place would be. And it's interesting because now they're decorating this whole thing, but they're going to overlay everything with gold. I was talking to to somebody earlier, uh, and I was thinking, have you ever been into like an old Catholic church? And, And you walk in there, and there's all this gold, and it almost looks gaudy. But it just, everything's overlaid with gold. I can only imagine what this looked like. There was nothing but gold all over. And and again, they had to bring people in that knew how to work with this to overlay it. So the intricacy, you could see every bit of it. And so, again, it's just full of gold. They had, when you start looking at all the gold that was brought in, it was tons of gold 
literally tons of gold. In verse 30 or 23, it says, He made two cherubim, cherubim of wild olive wood, each 15 feet tall, and placed them in the inner sanctuary. The wingspan of each of the cherubim was 15 feet, each wing being seven and a half feet long. Uh, the two cherubims were identical in shape and size. Each was 15 feet tall. He placed them side by side in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Their outspread wings reached from wall to wall uh, while their inner wings touched in the center of the room. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. He decorated all the walls of the inner sanctuary and the main room with carvings of cherubim palm trees and open flowers he overlaid the the floor in both rooms with gold for the entry of the inner sanctuary he made double doors of wild olive wood um, with five-sided doorposts these doors these double doors were decorated with carvings and cherubims palm trees and open flowers the door included the decorations of cherubims and palm trees were overlaid with gold and they and he made four-sided posts of wild olive wood for the entrance of the temple there were two folding doors of cypress wood and each door uh, was hinged to fold back on upon itself these doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim palm trees and open flowers all overlaid evenly with gold. The, the, wind, the, the walls of the inner court were built so that there were one layer of cedar beams between each, every three layers um, of finished stone. Um, really quick, <laughs> when you look at these, these, um, these cherubim, 15 feet tall, the, the roof right here is, ten, is, is 12 feet tall, right here. So another three feet that way. And so their wingspans, the middle of it would be about right here. So they were just humongous. And then they were overlaid with gold. And so you're looking at this going, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And I know some of you here are going, stop already. Um, quit talking. Uh, you're reading this, this stuff. But the, the reason I think this is vital, really, really vital, is because he's giving us so much detail. So much detail for this temple that God wanted to build. He gave D David or whoever was the detail. And I, and I say all this because God is a God of detail. He is truly a God of detail. He's just not vague going, ah, oh, just whatever. No, God is a God of order. And he is so detailed that he, you know, he, he says that we, well, let me just finish reading the two verses. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in mid-spring in the month of Ziv during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. The entire building was completed uh, in every detail in mid-autumn in the month of Bull, Bull. During the 11th year of his reign. So it took seven years to build the temple. Again, the detail that God is. You see, in the New Testament, he says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. And he dwells within us. And he wants obedience from his people. But God is such a God of details. He knows every intricate part of who you are. Every little part. 
You know, again, when you're looking at all these things in the Old Testament, you're going, why do you have to give me all these dimensions? Why? And you're lucky that I did it in the New Living Translation um, because you've going another cubit. Um, but the fact is that, that God is into detail. And each one of us in this room is different. And there's details about you that are so intricate that God knows them. He knows every part of you. And you're different than the person next to you or across the room. And he, and he designed you in such a way that nobody else is just like you. That's how intricate and detailed he is. And I love that about God. That he just didn't go, yeah, whatever. He didn't. He didn't say that about me. He didn't say that about you. He knows every inch of who you are, every, every minute thing about you. And, and, and when I read things about detail here in the, New, in the Old Testament like this, it reminds me that God just doesn't fling something out and say, let's see what happens. There's a plan. There's a purpose with God. Everything he does, there's a purpose. Why, why he made these things out of gold and all that, I, I don't quite get it, except that he knew <clears throat> what he wanted in his temple. And he knows what he wants in your temple. And he wants obedience first and foremost. And he wants it to shine bright. There, there's so much expense going into this temple. It's ridiculous. There's so much that he put into you. He put Jesus Christ. He put his Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Let's close it off. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for giving us your word, Father, when, when, when I begin to think, Lord God, of all the measurements and all these things, Lord, in the tabernacle and now here in the, in, in, in the temple, Lord God, it, again, it reminds me that, Lord, you, you desire to dwell in people's lives. We are called the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and as Solomon said, who am I to build a temple for God except to sacrifice, except to give? Lord, who, how, how could you dwell in anything? Lord, you are bigger than everything, and yet you desire to dwell in men's hearts. It's just mind-blowing, Lord. And I thank you that you thought that much about us, that you desire to be in and among us. Blessed be your name tonight, Lord, that we would glorify you and, and hold up your name, and that we would be obedient. Thank you, Lord, for residing within us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, come and see me or catch somebody.